Welcome back to our uh, sermon series called Money Matters. This is the last week you're going to hear this song. Some of y'all are going to have to go to iTunes. I don't even know what the song is called. Money Matters? <laughs> it's probably not called Money Matters. I need a dollar, man. What's this song called? One of y'all know. Is that what it's called? Yeah. I need, I, I need a dollar. Dollar. You can bring all your dollars to me at the end of the service today since we're no longer be talking about money, at least not for a while. Grab your Bibles and turn to uh, Romans chapter 12. Romans is in the New Testament. I guess if you turn like three quarters away to the right in your Bible, you will be in the vicinity of that. We're going to be, we're actually going to look at one verse today. One verse, if you can believe that. While, we, uh, while you're turning, uh, this is our last week in Money Matters, and starting next week, we will be studying together the book of John. Um, you know, the, the, our bread and butter as a church is to pick a book of the Bible and to, to exposit it, to, to look at each verse, um, sort of unpack what it says, apply it to our lives. And, uh, and we've done that through several books of the Bible in the 20 months uh, of life of our church. And uh, this is a topical series, and so it's good every once in a while to break, break it up and get into topics that are pertinent to, you know, to, you know the, the ground level of where we live. But uh, I, as, as Christians, I think, you know, we need to understand what the scriptures are saying um, in, in the current day context. And so um, we're going to go to the book of, uh, of John. John is a, a special book of the Bible to me. It's, it's the book that I got saved off of. And when I was at West Point as a, as a young kid in a navigator's Bible study, uh, reading the Bible for the first time, going through a, a study of John, um, the words just jumped off the page, and so hopefully our study of John will be um, as impactful for you as it has been for me. But today we're going to finish up our, our Money Matters series in the book of, uh, in the, the book of Romans, uh, verse 1. Um, let's read this together. You ready? I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we're here again, gathered as a church, and we're grateful. We're grateful for a beautiful day. Uh, I guess uh, the weathermen are saying this is the calm before a little bit of storm here tonight and tomorrow. And so um, we thank you uh, just for this, um, the, the beauty of your creation and even the change in weather, which reminds us you're a creative God. Lord, we are grateful for your word. We pray that it would be... Uh, both light and lamp to us today to guide us, to help us navigate um, the, the journey of our life. Uh, more uh, importantly, today we're talking about um, money. Uh, really, we're talking about our hearts as, uh, as our hearts guide us in how we use our money. And we pray that you would enlighten us, um, God, that we would see, um, just hear what you're, what you're saying to us as a people, what you're saying to us as a church, and that you change us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. I'm always interested in this, and it's, for everyone, it's the same. You know, one of the first words that a kid learns is no. Y'all ever recognize that? And another word that they, that, that they seem to learn that's close to that is mine. I, I see some of you mouthing it. You have kids. 
or you've seen kids. No and my. Um, so two little girls were eating breakfast and they, are, they had already developed a, a healthy lifestyle. So they loved fruit. They usually ate fruit for breakfast. There's one apple left. And these girls are clamoring to get this apple. And so the three-year-old gets it. And her five-year-old sister is like, I want the apple too. And there's this, like, this little bit of scuffle between the two of them as they're fighting over this one apple. The dad comes in um, just to see what all the, the clamor is. And he sees that there's a, it's a, a teachable moment that he could talk about you know, the source of, of provision for their family. And so he, the, third, the three-year-old has the apple. He goes to her and say, oh, sweetie, um, what's going on? And all she says is, mine, mine. And he says, what? I mean, you know, dad's trying to put this together. Um, who, who really owns the apple? I mean, you ever tried to explain something like that to a three-year-old? He did it anyway. Um, and she thought about it, smart little girl, and she said, uh, Mommy. Mommy is the one that went and bought the apple out of the grocery store. And then he looked at her and said, Whose apple really is it? And then she's like, Daddy? <laughs> smart girl. And then, so the, guy, the, the dad went the extra step and he says, Sweetie, this is the truth. We, wouldn't, we may have bought the apple. Your mom might have gone to the grocery store and got it. I may have paid for it with the money from my job. But honestly, we wouldn't have this apple if God hadn't provided it for us. Um, the girl, I mean, she wanted the apple. It was, it was her apple. And this is the problem with us. We act like this little girl. We act like this little girl because we think that the stuff that we have belongs to us just because we possess it. It's mine. And that's the conundrum that... Uh, that happens with us in our mindset with, with money. Who's the owner? You know, one of the reasons why some of us have issues with money and giving is that we start from the wrong perspective. We start from the perspective of ourselves. My needs, my wants, my money. When from a biblical perspective, we're supposed to start with, with God, right? From a biblical point of view, what does God want? What does he require of us? When we start with God, then we can move to ourselves. And when we start with God from a biblical perspective of money, what the Bible conveys to us is that God owns everything. Everything belongs to God. Let's look at a few scripture verses. Exodus 19.5 says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Job 41. Job is, God is speaking to Job, kind of a, uh, rebuking him, and he says these words, who has given anything to me that I need to pay back? Everything under heaven is mine. The psalmist says this, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Obviously, if God owns the beast in the forest, the cattle on the hill, the, really the mountains, the mountains underneath the feet of the cattle, they belong to God as well. And in a very obscure book in the Minor Prophets, Haggai, uh, 2.8 says, says this, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord. It, it's all God's. And here's the thing with you and I, we read verses like this, and I don't know, they, they kind of rub up against us, right? Because there's something in us that says, well, I mean, wait, I just worked 60 hours. I worked hard labor to earn everything that I got. My money is my money. I don't owe God anything. And if you're at that point where you're thinking, well, you know, my money is my money. I work for it. It's mine. Then I would tell you it's OK. Lightning's not going to strike you. Honestly, you're not even sinning. 
But just because you believe that doesn't mean it's true. Because when we always come back to Scripture, it says stuff to us like this. Deuteronomy 8.18. We read this verse during the first week of our, of our sermon series. Look at that middle part there. It's bold. For it is he who gives you the power to get wealth. So the wisdom of Scripture is you actually might have labored for the money that belongs to you. But really, the overarching perspective is God is the one that gave you life. I think the, uh, the pinnacle of this idea in the Old Testament uh, in terms of verses of, of God being the owner of everything that we have is the, what the psalmist says in Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. I think the Bible is just telling us God owns it. When we cross over to the New Testament, we see something else that, um, that the writers ascribe to our stuff. It says not only does God own our stuff, but he owns us. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And here's Paul's thinking on that. Jesus ransomed you with the blood of his cross. I mean, I mean, you can't get, um, you can't get any, I mean, you can't surpass that. And so we have a responsibility to honor God with all that we are. And here's the deductive deductive reasoning that we should, um, that come about from all the scripture verses that we've just read. If God owns the world, if God owns us, then he also owns our stuff. He owns not just our material possessions, but our money as well. And so if in the just in the purview of this room, there's all kinds of stuff that you have on your body that you use that we, I mean, there's artifacts in this room that, that's all God's stuff. All of, it, all of it belongs to him. And as we said last week, this means that we're stewards. God has given us the responsibility to manage and uh, to administrate all that he has entrusted to us. And so back to this idea when we're thinking about our lives, especially our lives as Christians, we're supposed to start with God. And when we start with God, in this idea of everything belongs to him, we're forced to ask this simple question, what does God want from us? And that's what Romans 12.1 helps us to discover. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, the context of this verse is, is worship. And there's a phrase that sticks out as Paul talks about worship, and it's right there in the middle. It's, this, it's these words, to present your bodies. And he goes on, to present your, your bodies. Paul is saying, put your whole self in. All of you. You guys remember the hokey pokey? Hokey pokey? Nick, you don't remember the hokey pokey? You put your left arm in, you put your left arm out, you put your left arm in, and you shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey, and you turn yourself around. That's what it's all about. So you put your left arm in, and you do the right arm in, left foot, right foot, head. And at some point, you get to the point where you're putting your whole body in. You put your whole self in, you put your whole, all right, you got it? That's the hokey pokey. Some of y'all missed out on some good stuff <laughs> in school if you, did, if you grew up without the hokey pokey. I mean, who ever heard of that? Is that a Southern thing? <laughs> so this, I mean, the word 
present here. It's, it's the hokey pokey. It it's literally means to stand before, to set before someone, to exhibit, to, to give of yourself. The NIV uses the word offer, and, and that really is the sense that Paul is giving here. I'm offering myself to something, to someone. Paul is saying worship involves offering our whole person to God. And so this is what I'm saying. For most of us, our issues with money aren't, aren't money issues. Our issues with money are heart issues. Our issues with money are worship issues. And, and so if you can tackle, if you can like just break down your issues with true worship, then money, I mean, your money issue is going to just dissolve away. You won't have any problem handling your money from a biblical perspective. At least that's what my argument is. You know, actually, I think most of us in this room know that we should be charitable. We know that we should be generous with our money, with our time, with our resources. Some of us may debate in regards to what the Bible says about tithing, whether it's a new uh, Old Testament thing or whether the a New Testament thing, the New Testament is silent about it. Am I supposed to do it? But I think most of us come with, uh, you know, a modicum of an idea, a little bit of an idea of as to, as to what the Bible says in regards to me giving. We know that part of, uh, you know, giving is part of our worship. We express our worship to God by giving. When we give, we are, we are reciprocating blessing. We're saying, God, you've blessed me with a lot. I'm going to return back to you what you've blessed me with. Uh, in the Old Testament book of Malachi, Malachi says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that God may bless you further. And so there's a, a mandate in Scripture that as you give, God returns to you. There's this whole host of things that we kind of intuitively know that we're supposed to do when it comes to giving. I think it's, you know, we, we kind of know that stuff. I even think that many of us in this room know that when it comes to giving, we know that giving helps keep us from materialism. It, it reminds us that, um, that we can live on less, that, that God wants us to live on less and to give part of ourselves and our resources away. But this is my contention. Most of us don't come into worship service prepared to give our whole selves away. We don't, we don't come prepared to do the hokey pokey. We don't. We bring our sins to God and we confess them in church. We bring questions that we have for God and we expect answers. We bring problems and we want God to provide us solutions. We bring all kind of desperate pleas that we have, things that we are frustrated about. We bring our depression. We bring all sorts of hosts of issues that we want God to just take away from us when we come to worship. But we typically don't come expecting to give our whole self to God. And I dare say Paul conveys we have not fully worshiped until we've given ourselves over to God, not just our money, but our very lives. And so Paul makes four points here in, in Romans 12.1, and we'll go through these quickly because I, there's a, two points of application that I think come from this in regards to our money. And the first point is simply this. We offer ourselves to God because of his mercy. We offer ourselves because, uh, to God because of, of his mercy. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God. This is Paul's leading argument. I mean, he, his, his, he exhorts us to recognize what God has done for us through Jesus. He says, our only response when we understand the great mercy that we've been given 
is to, is to completely give ourselves over to Jesus. I mean, who is Jesus? Jesus is the great grace giver. Jesus is the one that has raised our dead spirits and made us, made us come alive. We're sinners, and our sin has deadly consequences. And Romans 5.8 says that when, G, when we're enemies of God, that Jesus goes to the cross and dies for us. Jesus took our place, taking upon himself both the consequences of our punishment and our sin, so that now, as Romans 8 says, there's no condemnation for us. And so Jesus is the one who saves us, who forgives us of our sins. We are saved from death, hell, and the grave, and we are given access to the very eternal presence of God. And so Paul is saying, this is a great act of grace and mercy on behalf of our God. It's the ultimate gift, and we should never forget it. He says, when we offer ourselves to God, we should do that because, I mean, this is, This is motivation enough for us to offer ourselves to God. Secondly, he says, we offer ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. First, Paul says we offer our bodies. I mean, you ever tried to go anywhere without your body? Now, some of you, I know know some of you. Some of you have had out-of-body experiences. Some of you have. But that's not the typical way that most of us live life. Y'all didn't laugh. That was a joke. <laughs> Stop being so serious. Paul is implying, bring your whole self. You, can, you can't do anything without your, you ever try to do something without your body? No one that's not crazy does anything without their whole body. He's like, put your whole body in. That's what he's saying. Present your body as a living sacrifice. This is an Old Testament imagery. He's saying it's a, it's a picture of uh, uh, an Old Testament worship bringing a sacrifice to the priest. And so the, 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 the Old Testament worship would bring an animal. If you, were, if you were poor, then you bring a bird. If you were affluent, then you bring a bull or a goat. And you hand that sacrifice over to that animal over to the priest, and the priest would in turn sacrifice that animal to atone for your sin. In the New Testament, the New Testament worship comes with its hands empty. And he brings himself to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice. Um, one, of my favorite script, one of my favorite hymns is Rock of Ages. Rock of Ages says, um, uh, what does it say? It says, nothing in my hands I bring, only to the cross I cling. There's nothing that we can bring that's worthy of our worship. Jesus has done that for us. He's given himself to God uh, on our behalf, and that's why he's deserving of our worship. There were, there were two living sacrifices recorded in the Bible. One was in Genesis 22 when Abraham went to the mountain that God would show him, and he was prepared to sacrifice his son Isaac. And so the scripture tells us in Hebrews 11 that to Abraham, Isaac was as good as dead as they were making that trek, that long journey to from wherever they were to go to the mountain that God would show them. And to the point he laid Isaac on an altar, put wood on him, and was about to take uh, you know, a knife and, and sacrifice his son in obedience to God. Now, Isaac was a living sacrifice, but he didn't have to die. And of course, the second living sacrifice is Jesus himself. And Jesus I mean, he actually went through 
the process of being our sacrifice. And we call Jesus a living sacrifice because though he gave himself up, according to the will of God, God raised him from the dead. Jesus was a, a living sacrifice, a perfect living sacrifice. And so we offer ourselves to God because of his mercies. We offer ourselves to God because uh, to, to God as a living sacrifice. Thirdly, we offer ourselves to God uh, all the time. This is a small point, but a lot of times we come to this idea of worship with this idea of I'm going to wake up, I'm going to get dressed, I'm going to go to church, and I'm going to worship my God, and then I'm going to leave, and I'm going to leave my worship behind. And whatever, help, whatever else happens in my life, that's what I do until the next week when I go and worship. And so Paul's point here is that living implies life. And if living is an everyday experience, then our worship should be an everyday experience as well. When does worship happen? Worship happens in every single moment of your life. We are always worshiping something. We worship in each activity. We worship in each relationship. We worship each task that we do. We worship in each opportunity, each problem, each success, and each failure. It's not a matter of, who, of what we're worshiping, but, but with who. Fourthly, he says, we offer ourselves to God through transformation and renewal. And I had to go outside of our text today to, to get this point, but it's hard to preach about Romans chapter 12, 1 without including verse 2. So let's read verse 2. He says, don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and, and perfect. When we give ourselves to God, it's reflected in how we live. We live as transformed people. And that's what Paul is, is saying here. He's saying, this is the thing. It's not what we do. It's what God has done for us. By the Spirit, God makes us people who have been uh, metamorphosed from the inside out. The Holy Spirit does that. Worshiping people are changed people. And it's reflected in our walk. You know, not me just walking across the, the floor here, but the journey of our lives. We go through hills and valleys, around corners and turns, some that we know and some that we can't even uh, discern that they're going to come up. And here's the thing about our journey, our walk. It has, a, it has a certain end. It has an end that God is destined for us, and it's an, an eternal end with him if we have faith in Jesus. It's reflected in our talk, and it's a talk that's changed because we, our, our, our mouths are filled with gospel hope. And it's also reflected in, in our personality. I mean, your, your personality doesn't change too much, but what God does when you come to faith in him is he redeems every part of you to include your personality. And so when we give Jesus, uh, when we give ourselves to God, we live not as self-centered people, but as Jesus-centered people. And so Paul makes the, the important point here that the world seeks to pressure us to conform to to its culture. And so he says two things are happening. The world is pressuring us to conform to whatever its image of success and glory is from the outside, but the Holy Spirit at the same time on the inside is conforming us little bit by little bit into the image of Jesus himself. When we come to faith, we become, we, I mean, we just get the Holy Spirit and he makes us new. Our minds become new. We have the mind of Christ. Rather than allow the world to squeeze us into whatever mold it's trying to make us uh, fit into, we're shaped into the likeness of Jesus. He gives us a new heart, uh, a heart to offer him 
worship. And so worship is a molding process. The primary goal of worship is transformation. Now, some of you are, are, are thinking, well, what in the world does all this have to do with, with like money? What does this have to do with my money and my life and how I live it? And my response to you would be absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. Here's Paul's appeal to us. He says, by the mercies of God, present your bodies as, living, uh, as a living sacrifice. And, you know, I, I, I pose that to you as the hokey pokey, putting your whole self in. Um, your body is, is that thing that you take with you everywhere you go, absolutely everywhere you go. Um, your, your body is what makes you you. And so Paul is saying, offer all that you are, all that you absolutely are, your whole body to God. And if Jesus has your body, he has all of you. And so the question for us as we apply the, the, this verse here to our lives and really to our money, is what happens when you give all of you to Jesus? Two things. The first thing is you get your eyes off yourself. That sounds foreign to us because most of us don't realize that we, we really have our eyes on ourselves. My needs, my wants, my desires, my money. A lot of us are so fixated on ourselves, on our own lives. We are selfishly individualistic people. We complain that we're bored or depressed or that you don't like your life. And part of the problem is that your eyes are solely on you. They're focused on you. When you give your all to Jesus, you get your eyes off you, which I think for some of you would be a wonderfully, wonderfully liberating thing. And I'm talking to myself as well. I know that sometimes, most of the time, I'm a very selfish person, and if I would take the, 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 the time to not think so much about myself, even to not think so highly about myself, and to think about other things, then it would be a wonderful thing. The second point is, is very close to the, the first. If we get our eyes off of ourselves, it opens our eyes to the big picture. And, I mean, this is my big point. So you're like, what is Jeff talking about? This is, my, this is the point for you. This is what I want you this is what I want to stick. This is the big picture. The narrative of the Bible spells it out. God is on a mission. Why is having the right perspective of your money important? It's because God is on a mission. What's the mission of God? His mission is to call a people to himself for the worship and the glory of his name. God has been doing that from, from eternity, and he'll do it to eternity. God is for God, and his mission is to call a people like you and I, to himself. He did it in the garden with Adam and Eve. And even though Adam and Eve sinned and, and were deceived by the serpent, we see uh, immediately after that, God pursuing Adam and Eve. Genesis 3, 9, Adam, uh, God says, Adam, where are you? God is all about calling a people to himself for the praise and the glory of his name. And since the fall, God has been about redeeming people like you and I redeeming broken people and relationships. God is on a mission. As we learn in the New Testament through the Apostle Paul, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, God has invited us to be on mission with him as his ambassadors. He uses us, the church, to bring this about. Our issues with money aren't money issues. They're heart issues. 
when your heart and your worship align, when, when those two things, I mean, get one behind the other, then your money, I mean, your thoughts on money will follow. And so while I mentioned earlier that the, you know, most of us kind of know what we should give, there is a, loose, a little confusion in regards to, I mean, what Christians should give. And let me simplify this for you. We should give to stuff like this. I mean, there were no, you know, I mean, we could have looked at that for a little longer, and I, I wish there were um, audible words that you could have heard it. But um, what I'm, I guess what I want you to do is let's do the hokey pokey. Let's, 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 let's put our whole self in. Let's, let's be the church. Let's be the church with all that God has given us in terms of our, ourselves, our bodies, our, our minds, the, the work of our hands, the resources that he's given us. Let's be the church. Let's put our whole self in. Let's do what Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. And it says the same thing. Let's, let's be all in. And so when you unpack that, what does that look like? I, I think, firstly, it, it looks like following Jesus. Many of you have, follow, have been following Jesus for a while. Perhaps there's a few of you here that have yet to make the decision that Jesus is worth your allegiance. And I would tell you, that's the start point. The start point to being all in from a perspective of you using all that God has given you as a resource to do good in God's world is, is following Jesus. And a close second is obeying the gospel. What is the gospel? It's the good news that God loves you despite your sin enough to die on the cross for you. But I think being all in does include your radical generosity. It, it just includes a, a generous heart. And being generous, it, it's, it's not just your money, but it is your money. And so I think we... I, I want us to be generous with our time, with our skill, with our passion, like, like Brian Hall in, in regards to helping some of you out with, with your stewardship. I want us as a church to, to be on mission with God, to redeem broken people and broken relationships. That's what God is all about. He's done that in your life, and he wants to do that in the life of the people that are around you. When the church is on mission, the people of God understand that their mission is to live out their faith wherever they are. And I would tell you, if you just open your eyes, stop looking so much at yourself and look at all those things that are around you, you'll see needs, physical, spiritual needs all around you that perhaps you can address. I think when the church is on mission, we're living out the gospel in, in every context. We're in the communities. We're in the neighborhoods that we all live in. We are being good neighbors. I mean, you ever seen one of those, a good neighbor? I mean, that's a novel thought, being a good neighbor, seeing needs that are right around you, whether you're at work or they're in your family, or perhaps they're in the house right next door to you and using what God has given you, be it good sense or money or the time of day to address those issues. And so, Beyond that, let's serve the poor. Let's stand for justice in our community when, when we have opportunity to do that. Beyond the borders of our own country, let's, let's be about church planning. As a church, 
We are supporting four churches that are have just started or that are starting, one in Raleigh, one in Fayetteville, North Carolina, uh, one in Mexico City, and one that's starting here uh, later on this year in, in Frederick, Maryland. Let's be about God and advancing his kingdom. I, I, you know, I think about what would happen in our city if we really lived like some of the things that the church is supposed to do in accordance with this video. I think about what our city would be if we lived simply as the people who are called to be on mission with God, redeeming broken people and relationships. We would challenge the status quo from abnormally individualistic and selfish affluent lives, which is people like us, to I mean, just radically generous people. Stuff like that changes places where we live. I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. Look at my hands. This is the last thing I'm going to say about money. Some of us are like this. It would take somebody like Devin Turnbaugh to, to come and pry open my hands like this. And some of us are like this, not just with our money, but with our lives. God wants you to be like this. And, you know, it, it, takes, it takes a little bit to go from this to this. It does. I'll, I'll just be honest. It does. But God wants you to be like this, not just with your money, but with your lives. And my purpose, our purpose in bringing this financial series, just three weeks of just talking about what the Bible says. We can talk about money for the rest of the year and, and not exhaust all the Bible says. My purpose has been not to, not to encourage you to even give one time or again, or to give more of your resources, but to get at the heart of the issue for all of us, which is money. Our money issues aren't money issues. Our money issues are our heart issues, our money issues, our worship issues. And when we align our heart and our worship, then what you think about money flows right along with that. You'll live from your heart in regards to your money. And so my challenge is that, you know, let God speak to you in regards to um, your heart, how generous you are. Let God speak to you in regards to your heart about how much you have or have not surrendered to him. Because when you surrender to God fully, when you're worshiping him, as Romans 12 suggests that we do, then your money is going to follow you as well. This is not a word from the Lord, but this is a good word for somebody in here. And that's that you've been disobedient. Disobedient from the perspective of um, you know that you're supposed to be generous with, your, with who you are, but also your resources. You have the means to be generous with yourself and with your resources, but you've said this to God. You said, like, mm, I'm living my own life. I'm doing my own thing. It's, I, it's my money. It's my life. No, thank you. And I just think, I mean, the, you need to respond to that. Perhaps the Holy Spirit is speaking to you even now. And the way that you respond to God when you've been challenged is you repent. You repent of your sin, and you respond in faith. And, you know, responding in faith is, is, is not necessarily knowing all the things that you're supposed to do, but, but it's, simply, it's simply saying yes. You know, this, this is an old song we used to sing in my grandmother's old Black Baptist church. And the old saints, all they would say was yes. It's, it's an incredible song. Yes. 
They say yes over and over again. What a simple prayer. Yes, Lord. They say it over and over again. And there's a way of tuning their heart so that it would, it, it would be a future action of their life. Some of us just need to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, not in the sense that you know how God is going to make it all work out or how, you know, how he's going to turn your heart. I mean, God's not up to any of that. Yes, Lord, I, I, I'm open to you moving me to, to be more in line, my heart and my worship to what you would have me to do. The truth is, more than your money, God wants your heart. More than faith, uh, He's more faithful and trustworthy to lead your life than you are. So let's trust him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we need your help. We need your help to uh, unloosen our, our grip on our stuff. Some of us have a tight grip. Some of us, the grip is, uh, is loosening, but we all have a... a a semblance of a grip on our stuff. And we pray that you would help us to see as you see, um, that you help us to get our eyes off of us and our stuff, and that you would give us a different perspective, that you would help us to see the big picture, that you're on mission. You're on mission to call a people to yourself, that we would worship and glorify you from eternity to its end. Lord, you're on a mission to redeem broken people and, and broken relationships. And we're all broken in here. And so we need, uh, we need fixing. Would you come, Holy Spirit, and, and move in the, the broken places in our souls, those places where we don't think like you think, those places where our hearts just aren't there. Would you help us? Would you help us in our worship? Would you help us to not worship ourselves or our stuff, our money, but to, to get it right, to, that our worship would be pure, it would be focused, centered on Jesus. God, I pray that you would help some people in here today start, start doing the hokey pokey, that we, would, that we would take the risk, that we would put our, not just our arm or our leg or our head, we put our whole self in. And I pray, God, that you would meet us that you'd that you meet us there in the gap and that you show us the way we pray this in Jesus name amen